0: We are concluding a series here today called Five Years. And throughout the series, we've been asking a big question. The big question is this. This has been the big idea. In five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? So five years, what might God accomplish in and through me? And we've been saying that for most people, they set too big of goals in the short term for themselves, but much too small of goals in the long term. And today, normally I have often I have one point, one thing for you to remember. And today I have one word for you to remember. Do you think you can handle that? I think you can handle that. Uh, So here's here's your one word that you're gonna try to remember today, and that is this: persevere. Persevere. Now Growing up, I was great at starting things. Any anybody else there that you were creative minded, you were great at launching new projects and things as a kid. Um, I was not always great at finishing them. Anybody else out there? Yeah, there's that. That's like part of being, you know, that artist creative mindset. is It's easy to start projects because you always have a, a good new idea. Not always so easy to follow it through. I remember one time. Uh, my brother and I, I conned him into it somehow. Uh, we decided we were going to dig a swimming pool on the hillside behind our house. And so we asked our par- actually asked for permission from our parents, and they just chuckled and said, sure. And so <laughs> we got out there. I drew out this big rectangular shape with the pickaxe, you know, scraped it in the dirt. And then we got out the shovels. And five minutes later, we quit, Right we figured out pretty quickly this was not going to happen, us digging this pool by hand. We simply did not have the perseverance to see it through, right? Hey, about perseverance, everything, almost everything in life worth achieving requires perseverance. Have you noticed that? Almost everything worth getting to in life requires perseverance. And As you start to think about your life a little more long-term, maybe the things that that you want to, you know, who God wants you to become in five years or the things you want to accomplish or the things God has for you over the next five years, perseverance will be the thing that helps you get there. It'll be the thing that helps you accomplish it. You know, the the reason why most people don't achieve what they set out to achieve is that they simply give up too soon. Maybe you've experienced that in an area in your life like we did with that swimming pool, right? We could have done it, actually, It would have taken a long time, but we could have done it. Maybe there's something in your life where where you really had a goal you wanted to get to and you just gave up too soon. Or you had something in your life that you wanted to see happen and you just ran out of steam as you were getting started and you gave up too soon. You know, there's gonna be plenty of times as you reach for the things that God's calling you to get to that you wanna give up. And the key to getting where you wanna be will be perseverance. Have you noticed that perseverance is like a muscle that is built through a lot of hard work. It's not just something m- most of us are born with. It's something we develop. In fact, it's a, it's a key sign of maturity in our lives as you begin to develop perseverance in different areas of your life. And it takes a lot of hard work, just like working out or getting somewhere in a sport. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes doing the reps, and perseverance is the same way. Also, perseverance is essential for leaving a legacy. You know, some of you in the room, you have a hard time thinking about legacy. I mean, for, for a lot, if you're in your, you know, teens or 20s or, or 30s, it's like legacy. You know, I don't, I, I'm just trying to survive right now. I'm just trying to get through the season of life. I'm just trying to get somewhere in my life. Some of you, you know, that's like, I just want to get out of my parents' basement. That would be nice, you know, or I just want to graduate. Or for some, it's that season of, I just if I, if I could just meet somebody, right? And that's what you're thinking about oftentimes, I don't think most people start thinking about legacy until much later in life. And that's too bad because the decisions and the perseverance early in life is one of the key things that brings you to legacy later in life. I know for me, I'm you know, in my 40s now, and I would say legacy, what will be my legacy after I'm gone, just, has just started entering into the picture in the last couple of years in my you know, regular way of thinking when I realize, hey, I won't be in this seat forever, right? I mean, I know I've got a long way to go, but I won't be in this seat forever. And there'll be a day when I have to hand off what I've been entrusted with. And there'll be a time when I want to look back and see, has my life really made an impact and a difference in my children and, Lord willing, my grandchildren and in generations that follow? And that's legacy, right? And the way... You persevere in each stage of life now is is the way you gain a legacy later. You don't get a legacy without perseverance. Perseverance today leads to legacy tomorrow. And so, throughout this whole series, we've been looking at different highlights from the life of Moses. And that guy's a guy with a legacy, right? One of the greatest leaders in history. He recorded to be the most humble person who ever lived. Uh, he authored the first five books of the Bible, quite a legacy. And so to close out the series today, we are going to read a recap of Moses' life that was written 1,500 years after his death. And that in and of itself is incredible. Good, good chance that really 50 or 100 years after any of us are gone, nobody's really gonna remember us, right? They're still writing about, they were still writing about him 1,500 years after his death. And so we're gonna see how perseverance was vital to the incredible legacy that Moses left. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter known as the Faith Hall of Fame. And the chapter starts out with 22 verses highlighting these amazing heroes of the faith, you know, like Abraham. Boom, boom, by faith, by faith, all these guys and the amazing things that they did. Finally, by verse 23, we get to Moses. And here's how it starts. Hebrews eleven twenty-three. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, we see, by faith. And Hebrews, actually, the the way this chapter starts out is really by defining faith for us, that it's confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance of what we don't see. In fact, it tells us this is what all the, the ancients that believed in God before Jesus were commended for was their faith. And and we're told that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him has to believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I have a little definition of faith as you look at this chapter and a lot of other uh, scriptures on it. And that is this, that faith is confident trust that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. It's confident trust. A lot of times we think of faith as like a force that somehow is to be tapped into. That's, that's not biblical. Or something we can just, if we can work it up and generate enough faith, somehow tap into it enough that, that we can achieve whatever we want to in life. That's not a biblical way of thinking. Faith is confidence and trust in God, in the person of who God is, and that he will do what he said he will do, that he will keep his promises. And here's the thing. I don't want you to persevere simply to achieve success. In life. Oh, I hope you know, in whatever field you achieve you're in and the endeavors you try, you you achieve some success. That's great. But that's not my goal. My main goal for you is I want you to leave a legacy of faith in this life. A legacy of faith that requires that you act on your faith. And here's what you see in Moses' parents: that, that somehow they trust that God is good, and somehow they 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 understand that God gave them this special baby for a special purpose. And so they don't just know that, they act on that faith. And if you remember the story, they set him adrift on the river as he's floating down the river in a basket of reeds, right? Right by where the princess would be. And so that's how the story begins. And these people's amazing legacy is a legacy of faith in action. They were willing to risk their own lives. Faith always requires action. How many of you have ever been repelling? Yeah, quite a few. I worked at this camp growing up, Camp Red Cloud. It was an amazing spot. You'd go up, giant rappel rock, and you'd look over the side, and it looks a lot taller from the top than from the bottom. You, you know that? And so it's like, I don't think so. And they give you this whole spiel up there about this rope and how the rope, you could literally hang the van you drove in there on the rope, and it wouldn't break, you know, no problem, it's got you. And you could sit up top all day long and say, I believe it, right? But until you actually clip in and start moving towards the edge, and then the moment of truth. What do they tell you to do? Lean back. They back you up to the side and then they go, lean back. And you start going, uh, really? Because I don't feel like leaning back. I think I can just climb my way down, you know, like this. That's a good way to get rock burn on your face. Not, not a pretty look. Okay. So they tell you, no, the safest way to do this is to, to lean back. And you got you to gotta just plant your feet and start walking, right? It takes action. And that Means you really trust that rope. It's faith in action. And that's that's the model of faith. And that's Moses' parents' legacy. And, and I think this is interesting. They were not afraid. So here, here's what I see. You're gonna see this again in a moment with, with Moses. And something in life that we see, we hear about these courageous people that do great things, and we feel like, well, I'm scared they must be completely different than me. No. When it says they were not afraid, it doesn't mean that they did not feel any fear in the moment, that they didn't have the butterflies, that they weren't scared. What it means is they didn't let that stop them from taking the step of courage. No doubt they knew they were risking their lives, defying the king's order. But what this means is I'm going to do what's right anyway. And they took a step. And that's really, I think, courage It doesn't mean you don't feel any fear. Courage means taking the step you need to take anyway. That's what courage is all about, and that's the legacy of Moses' parents. Verse 24. Now we get to Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. He chose the hard path. And and think about this, because Moses, he he could have stayed in Pharaoh's household. But he chose to identify with his people. And because he chose to identify with his people who were being mistreated, he ended up losing everything. What you see is Moses, he knows God has called him for a purpose, that God has called him, obviously placed him in this position, and he's called to be the agent that will redeem his people. We saw that in Acts. And so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands, and he goes out and he kills the Egyptian and tries to bury him in the sand and cover it up, right? Then he has to flee because Pharaoh gets word of it and launches a plan to kill him, and he has to flee. And here's the interesting part about legacy. Uh, l- legacy doesn't mean you get it all right. It, the way the author, the inspired author of Hebrews in the scripture remembers his legacy is he chose. You get this? And here, I think this is such a big point. He chose to follow God. He chose to do the right thing in the circumstance. He didn't get, go about it in the right way at first. And that led him to 40 years of being a shepherd in the desert, but he still chose, right? He, he, he tried to take matters into his own hands, create a shortcut in the whole process, but he still chose to follow God. And that's his legacy. That's what we remember. And this is a really cool thing. His heart was in the right place. Even though he didn't always get it right, even though he blew it, even though he made some big mistakes, and we'll see this again in a little while, his heart was in the right place. He kept returning to God. And that becomes his legacy. And as you go through this whole chapter and look at all these names, there are some notorious sinners on this list. And the thing that brings them back is they turned back to God. They didn't let their mistakes keep them from God. And every one of you, no matter where you're at, no matter you come through the doors today for the first time thinking, man, if I walk through those doors, the ceiling's gonna fall down. I don't know where you're at. You have the opportunity to turn around and turn towards Jesus. And he welcomes you with open arms. And you could completely change your legacy. You could completely change where you're at in five years or ten years from now by simply turning to, choosing to turn towards him instead of run from him. Verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward, looking ahead to his reward. And the author of Hebrews, this is so interesting, he says he did it for the sake of Christ. And he did it for a reward. And at some level, we don't know how much Moses understood because God is still revealing his nature and his character. I mean, he hasn't even revealed the law and and given Moses, you know, this is before the burning bush. He decides to follow God. He decides to do the right thing. He knows that there's more than here and more than now. There's an eternal reward. And we talk about this often here. You remember that rope illustration? We out, stretched out a big rope across here, held it up. There's a tiny little black dot in the middle, and the rest of it is this big, long rope. And that little tiny dot in the middle represents the flash of our lives, whether that's you know 70 years or 100 years, um, a breath, an instant, right? And the long rope represents eternity. We, say, we ask the question, how much sense does it make to invest all of your time, your resources, and your imagination towards this one tiny little blip and not have an internal perspective. It just just doesn't even make sense, right? And on some level, Moses understood this. He lived for eternity. And it says he did it for the sake of Christ. And I love this, because this is 1,500 years before Jesus walked the planet and died and rose again. And yet, in the grand scheme of things, the author of Hebrews says, he, he might not have known exactly how it all worked out, but he, but he did it for Christ, ultimately. And you know, there's this cool scripture in the Gospels where Jesus says, what, uh, whoever has done it to the least of these has done it to me. And the idea behind it is there's people doing things from, for God, and they don't even realize they're doing them for Jesus. They're just doing the right thing that God has placed in front of them. And the principle behind this is that many times living for Jesus, living for the kingdom of God is simply doing that right thing that God places in front of you. And you know he taps you on the shoulder and you know that's the thing to do. And many times it may not seem like a big thing you're doing for God. Just the conviction that this is what I have to do. Whether that's not compromising in an area or whether that's speaking up when it's easier not to. Whether that's taking time to care for a neighbor when really you don't have any time today, right? But you know you're supposed to stop for a few minutes. Or giving faithfully year after year. And like, does that really make a difference, right? Or serving in a role where nobody sees you, like we talked about last week with the guys holding up Moses' arms, right? In a role that doesn't feel flashy. In a role that feels kind of mundane. And yet, you know, I, I think I'm supposed to do it. Those are the little things that add up to be big deals in the grand scope of the kingdom of God. And Moses, it says, he did this for Christ. He chose the eternal reward rather than just looking for the treasures of Egypt. And man, he would have had some incredible treasure, incredible prestige and power. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And again here, not fearing. I don't think it means he didn't necessarily feel the emotions of fear, but what did it mean? He didn't let him stop him from doing what God was calling him to do. He walked through it. He had courage. And he persevered. Everybody say that word out loud. Persevered. One more time. Persevered. Because he saw him who is invisible. He persevered. For 40 years, he persevered herding sheep. He went from thinking, God has called me as the great redeemer of my people. Clearly, I am a prince of Egypt, and it's just a matter of time till I'm going to get control of this whole thing, and then I'll be able to set him free. He goes from that kind of thinking about his life to, I am in the desert. I don't know if I'm ever going to leave the desert. Shepherd gives him his daughter. He gets married. He watches the sun come up and go down. He watches the sheep come in, and the sheep go out year after year after year, wondering, well, hmm, I wonder what that whole thing I thought God had called me for is all about. I don't really know, right? But he persevered. He just did what, what was right. He did what was right. And then one day God calls to him from a burning bush. And that would be a dramatic moment. And then he perseveres for another 40 years in the desert, leading his people And this is such a key for you and for me. When you feel like giving up, you persevere. When the pace of progress feels slow, you persevere, right? Persevere. Life is a marathon. Life is not a sprint. And walking with God is about a lifetime, not just a moment. You don't get where you're going to go overnight. You got to be in it for the long haul. You got to be committed to it for the long haul. In the great book, I like a book called Great by Choice, uh, business author Jim Collins, he writes about these two explorers that, went to, that were racing to be the first to lead a team across the South Pole, to the South Pole. And he writes about their efforts to lead these teams in 1911. It was 1,400 miles round trip in bitter 20-degree-below-zero weather. And there's two explorers. There's Amundsen, and he's a Norwegian. And then there's Scott, and he's a British naval officer. And Amundsen, there were some real differences in in how they went about this. Amundsen, he prepared rigorously. He went and lived with the Eskimos and learned to learn from them. How do you survive and move around efficiently in this kind of cold weather? Sub-zero temps, right? And he ended up storing three tons of supplies for his men stationed along the way. Scott, the British naval officer, he only stored one ton for 17 men. Three tons for five. Talk about preparation, right? Scott, one ton for 17. Amundsen ended up using sled dogs in his expedition because he learned that from the Eskimos. It was tried and true. You know, not the flashy way. It took perseverance. It was a lot slower. Scott used an unproven thing called a motor sledge, and they failed within days of his journey. Amundsen ended up arriving at the South Pole a month before Scott, and he immediately returned to safety. And Scott and his team arrived exhausted late, and their whole team froze to death on the return journey. Quite a tragedy. And one of the biggest keys in this whole story about how it all worked out is that when, when days would get nice, because at the South Pole and you know, Antarctica some days get pretty nice, when, when days the weather would get good, he would push his team as hard as he could, and he would wear them out. He would go, they would go as long and as far as they could go in one day. Whereas Amundsen, he had something he called the 20-mile march. And it was such a key in his life. It was his little by little. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, little by little. And every day, whether, whether it was a blizzard outside or whether the weather was beautiful, when it was a blizzard, he would get out his team and they would march 15 to 20 miles, no more, no less. When it was sunny and perfect weather and the team would be good to go, we could go 40 miles over, over this period of time. He would go 15 to 20 miles, no more, no less, because he understood that if he wore his team out and then they got stuck in a blizzard, he would be in a really, really tough Place and it was one of the keys. And I think this key it's, it's really played such a, a big part of my thinking about so many things as we planted a church and as we've moved forward on things. And as, as, as we talked about perseverance, that idea of what's your 20 mile march, what is the thing that you have to do a couple, couple weeks ago. We called it your little by little thing, right? The little by little, that little micro habit that you're going to say, I'm going to do this every single day this year without fail. I told you one of mine. I've got one around prayer and one around a, a short Bible passage, right? And one of the other ones, my three air squats, right? Every day, I'm going to weigh myself and write it down. Why? Is that the best way to track health? No. But it keeps your mind engaged on just thinking about it, you know, and before you stick that third Krispy Kreme donut in your ma- mouth. Thank goodness we don't have a Krispy Kreme in town anymore, right? You think, oh, wait. I just weighed myself this morning. Okay micro habits, little by little, 20 mile march. And this was Scott's 20 mile march. We're going to go out every day. One of our, my 20 mile marches and the things that has been really hard. I ha- I've hated doing it for, for years now. I, I always feel awkward. Um, is putting up those little signs. You see that sandwich board sign by the side of the road. And when we started the church, uh, I sat with my friend Link and we were talking about how we were going to start the church. And I said, well, we know we could. We could gather a small group and meet in our living room for a year. Or we could just throw up some big signs by the side of the road, set a launch date, and go for it. He goes, which one do you think you need to do? I said, I think we need to do the second one. And that's what we felt God led us to. So that was the plan, right? And ever since that time, that has been a my 20-mile march. I read this book, and I thought of this, my 20-mile march. i got to go out, and i got to put out that sign every weekend, whether it's blizzarding or sunny, beautiful. And I hate doing it. But I'm willing to guess a good share of you are in this room right now because you saw one of those silly little signs. We could have thrown $10,000 at advertising on a billboard, and it would not have been effective as the perseverance of that little by little thing, week after week after week. And some of you, you need to get serious about some of these things in your life. You need to figure out what's your 20-mile what's your march, that thing that you got to do relationally, financially, in your spiritual life, and then persevere don't give up. Don't give up. And that's the thing. Moses perseveres. We see that. He perseveres. And and another thing I told you earlier, Moses perseveres, even though he blows it. And I think this is a big key for you and me. Moses does the thing with the Egyptian, and that leads him to have to flee out into the desert. He murders a guy, right? And then a little bit later in life, as he is leading the people across the desert, they run out of water, And so God tells him, I'm going to provide water, and here's how I want you to do it. Take the the staff of God and strike this rock twice. And he does this, and amazing, a spring bursts open, and there's enough water for this huge people group, the people of Israel, and quenches all their thirst and all their animals in the desert, right? And so the same thing happens a second time. Later on, years down the road, as he's wandering for 40 years, because this is right in the first couple weeks Years down the road, again, they're without water and the people are grumbling because they grumble like a whole, a whole bunch, right? Some of you, that's your house every Monday morning. The troops are grumbling and complaining every morning. You're like, Ugh, these... anyway. <laughs> so the people are grumbling and complaining and Moses is a little ticked off. And so God speaks to him and says, okay, I want you, I want, there's a rock. I want you to speak to the rock. And again, I'll provide water for the people. And Moses, he's upset, he's in a hurry, and somehow God tells him something, speak to the rock, and that's not very dramatic, and who knows if that's even gonna work, but I know what worked last time, right? I struck the rock last time, that worked, I mean, and somehow his heart shifts from trusting in God to thinking he's the guy that's gonna pull off this whole thing, that he's the man. Like when he killed the Egyptian a while back, I'm the man, I can take this thing on. He tells the people, hey, He says, shall we, talking about me and him and Aaron, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Shall we? Like you can do that, Moses. Come on, buddy. Remember whose power this is, right? And so he strikes the rock and water comes out. Water comes out, but God tells him something. So that mistrust in me, this journey isn't gonna end the way you hope because you're gonna lead these people, but you're not gonna get to go into the promised land. Like all the other people that were rebellious to me out here in the wilderness, they didn't get to enter the promised land. They died on the journey. You're gonna lead them. You'll get to see it, but you won't get to go in. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's pretty heavy. And for most of us, that would be the point in the story where we just walk away, where we drop the staff and go, I'm done. I'm out of here. It's not worth following God anymore. Maybe some of you have had these moments, right, where you've done that. It's not worth it anymore. It's too hard. What God's calling me, there's too much risk in what God's calling me to. But the thing about Moses' character, he just keeps turning back to God, which is why he's remembered with the legacy that he is. God could have raised up Joshua a whole lot earlier in this story. Moses could have walked away, gone back, picked up the shepherd's staff again, but he sticks with the call God's given him. He doesn't give up just because he's blown it. And for some of you in the room, maybe you think that just because you blew it in an area, you're done, the story's over for you. Turn back to God. You never know what he can accomplish through your life if you stay faithful, if you turn around, Persevering and finishing well was vital to Moses' legacy and vital to his impact, and it will be to yours and mine as well. Have you you ever noticed on football, uh, there have been plenty of star rookie NFL players that come out, and everybody's talking about them year one, and 10 years later, it's like, oh, you remember that one guy? And they started amazing. They had an awesome season, and then 10 years later, you don't even remember their name, right? It's like, oh yeah, I remember that one guy or he made that one catch. Remember that one guy that made that one amazing catch on his head? I don't remember his name, do you? So there's plenty of players in football that have started out great and didn't finish well and you don't even remember them. They don't really leave a legacy, right? Compare that to somebody who I'm sure you've heard of. And I know this will be a sore subject in the room. Tom Brady. I know, I know. You're all a little sore about it. So for a couple of you, and you can just be quiet. um, But here, uh, hear me out on this, because it's pretty amazing. Do you know he was the 199th pick on draft day in the NFL? 199th. He got picked in the sixth round of the 2000 NFL draft. Five other quarterbacks before him. And then finally he got picked by the Patriots. He was the fourth string backup. He threw for a whopping six yards in his first season, one pass completed. But he persevered, didn't he? He persevered, and as I'd say, the rest is history. And he's arguably one of the greatest or the greatest quarterback of all time. So I have some other examples of some people who persevered. Ever heard of Thomas Edison? Yeah, Thomas Edison's teacher said he was too stupid to learn anything. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. A reporter asked him, you've heard, you know, he tried to th- fail a thousand times in creating a light bulb. How did it feel to fail a thousand times? And Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. He said, creativity doesn't get far without tenacity. That's something good to remember. Abraham Lincoln, he went to war as a captain and returned to private. Good job, buddy. (laughs) He failed at business. He wasn't a success as a lawyer. In politics, he got defeated over and over and over again, including a couple of senatorial campaigns, a vice presidential campaign. At one point after an election, he wrote a letter to his friend. I am now the most miserable man in living. That's how he felt but he persevered and has left one of the greatest legacies in the world, hasn't he? Albert Einstein, he couldn't speak until he was four years old. He did not read until he was seven. To his parents, he was subnormal. A teacher called him mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift forever in foolish dreams. He was expelled from school and turned down when he applied to a tech school. But luckily, he learned to read and write, right? And do a little math too on the side. How about Winston Churchill? He repeated a grade during elementary school. He was placed in the bottom of the class. He failed the entrance to military academy twice. He was defeated in his first run for parliament. We all know how his story went on, right? He went on to become the prime minister of England at a crucial time in history. And arguably, he is one of the key men and the reason why the Nazi Germans were stopped from taking over the world. He said this, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except for to convictions of honor and good sense. Never, 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 never never give up. Some of you need to hear those words here today. Some of you need to hear those words because you need some perseverance in your life. You need perseverance and so here's how the story ends for Moses. God takes him up a mountain at the very end of the 40 years wandering in the desert. He's blown it a couple times during his life, some of them pretty substantial. Everything hasn't gone his way, but he's been faithful and he continually returns to God. And so God brings him up to this mountain called Mount Nebo and he shows him a view of the whole promised land north to south, all this beautiful land that the people were promised. He says, I know you'd like to go in, but it's not gonna happen, but I'm gonna let you look at it. Your journey's over. Your job is over. You've done your part. You're, you have a legacy. You've run your race. And then at the very end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, it says this. Keep your finger in Hebrews, because we're not done. It says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. The only man in recorded history that God dug their grave. That's how he felt about this guy. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And I could see him going, but God, I, I still am strong and I, I, I'm fit. I could do this. No, no, you've done your job. You've run your race. It's time to pass the baton. Verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Exodus says God actually spoke to him like a friend. He's a friend of God. And that's the end of the story of Moses. But guess what? The story doesn't stop. Flip over one page. Joshua 1.1. After they mourn for a few weeks, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' aide, remember, sidekick, just been serving faithfully for 40 years. It's not the man calling the shots, not large and in charge, he's just serving faithfully. Moses, verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, did you get that? Now then, you, it's your turn, buddy. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River and into the land I'm about to give them. And the story of God's redemption of humanity continues and goes on and on. Don't miss this. You persevere until God releases you. And then when it's time, you trust that God can get the job done without you after you're gone, right? You, You stick with it in whatever thing that God's calling you to until he releases you from it. Don't quit. Don't give up. You know, most of us will die with work undone. And some of us will die in the desert like Moses did, having felt like, I, I, I don't know. But you got to remember, it's God's story. We're just runners in a relay race. It's God's story. Just like Joshua was an Abe for 40 years, and all of a sudden, God says, hey, run. You're getting the baton, right? And, and you know, in a relay race, the handoff it's just about as important as, as the run. You can have a great run, but you miss the handoff. You still hold on to that too long, and the person that you're handing off to can't get a clean start. Can throw a wrench in the whole thing, right? And for some, that's a, it's a story of, you, of letting go of things, that God is releasing you in a season. For others, it's, a, it's time to run, get ready, Rev up, get ready. You're about ready to get the baton and then you have to persevere and run your race. Run your race. You know, the the end of this chapter was not the end for Moses, the friend of God. We see him about 1,500 years later. And what's he doing? Heaven opens up. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's this amazing little moment here. And he's just hanging out, talking strategy with Jesus and Elijah. Been a friend of God for for all the time while he was on earth. And now for 1,500 years, they've been hanging out. They're pretty close. And we see this beautiful picture in the transfiguration of Moses. And someday you and I are going to get to meet this man if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so the author of, of Hebrews continues in this chapter to go on and on all the way through. He moves on past Moses and tells us of all these other amazing heroes of the faith that have done all these great exploits for God. But lest we think that following God always leads to a storybook ending, this is how the author of Hebrews ends it. He talks about others who by faith were tortured, put to death, persecuted, mistreated, destitute. Doesn't sound like things we'd really associate with faith. He says, yeah, oh yeah, by faith. They were willing to be persecuted, tortured. They never saw the promise of the Messiah that they've been waiting for for years and years. No, God was waiting on that for you and for me. And it's this powerful scripture. It doesn't always end the way we hope or dream. But that's why eternal perspective is so important. That's what we're living for. That's what we're running for. And so He concludes this whole thought. It's a really long chapter. You should read it at home. In chapter 12. You remember there's no chapter dividers in the original manuscript. But because of all these examples, these amazing examples that he's just given us, he tells us this in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles Throw that off. Get rid of that stuff. And next verse, next part of the verse. And let us run with perseverance. Everybody say that again. Perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, Of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As you run your race of faith, life will throw things at you that you don't have the power to get through on your own. That's why you got to fix your eyes on Jesus and what he's called you to and what he's equipped. That's why you stay reliant on him. And so Whoever God wants you to become and whatever God God wants you to accomplish over this coming year and over the next five years, here's, here's what you will need. Perseverance. Perseverance. You will need to persevere. Persevere through it. And for some of you, that feels just exactly where you're at today. I'm gonna invite Winston to come back up here. We're gonna close in a song. You know, my ultimate goal for you is that in five years you're closer to Jesus, that your faith has weathered some storms, that it's matured like Moses, the friend of God, that even when you blow it, you turn around and come back to him, that your eyes would stay fixed on Jesus so you have enough strength to persevere and run your race well. And you know what? Yeah, I I hope some of you reach your fitness goals, you know, I hope you do your, your one push-up a day and that turns into 30 and you, know, and you get in the best shape of your life. That'd be great. I, I hope some of you learn your new language. That's a cool thing to do, valuable, right? I hope some of you become a naster knitter. You know, if that's your thing, that's great, right? I hope some of you reach your financial goals. I, I hope you're wildly successful and that you'll fund the work of God all over this world, okay? I hope relationally you find fulfillment and your family goes somewhere great. And I hope you excel at whatever field you choose to go into. But ultimately, my prayer is that in five years, you would be closer to Jesus than you are today. And that you will leave a legacy of faith for generations. One of the folks that goes to our church here, his name is Tom Wood. And he had a great-grandfather. He never met him. He never knew him. His great-grandfather retired from Postal Service and Railroad at the age of 62. And he said, you know what? I'm not just going to check out. I'm not going to just take it easy. He died at age 71, but he made a commitment when he retired that every day he would sit out on his porch and he would pray for future generations. That his race, until God released him from it, he would run it with perseverance. And even though his career might be done, his race wasn't over. And you know what's amazing this family? They have five generations now, a lot of people serving God. People in business, hardworking people, business leaders, missionaries that lead missions efforts and reach people at the ends of the earth. And this great grandfather, he sat out and prayed every day for future generations. He left a legacy of faith. And my prayer for our congregation is that we would not grow weary and lose heart but we would run our race of faith with perseverance and leave a legacy of faith that would impact generations. Would you stand? And here's how we're gonna close today. I know for some of you in this room, this this is hard because you feel like you are about ready to lose heart. And so I wanna encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, but also we are the body, we are the church, and we're called to come together and be there for each other, and pray for each other, and hold each other up, and encourage one another. And so we're going to do something. It'll take a little bit of boldness right now. But we're going to have you, the church, pray for each other. And so I want to invite anyone in the room that you're in a season where you just need some extra perseverance, or you feel like you're about ready to lose heart, and you need some encouragement. Would you just raise your hand high and keep it up? Now look around you, church. Look around you, and everybody move. Not everybody has to, but let's make sure nobody that's raised their hand doesn't have somebody around them to pray for them as we sing this next song. And let's worship together, and I'll come back out and close us in prayer.